passage you read, or you heard me read, uh, Luke in chapter 22. We'll look at the parallel this afternoon in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter eleven. Verse twenty three For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat. This is My body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation, where it is judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned of the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Some thoughts on the Lord's Supper this afternoon, particularly the statement, do this in remembrance of me. There's a different word used in the passages that were read today in Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus says, This is my body that is given to you in Luke 22.19. This is my body which is broken for you in 1 Corinthians 11. You notice that one speaks of a gift and one speaks of His suffering. Jesus gave Himself for us and He was broken instead of us. And He says, I want you to be observing this table in remembrance of Me. This do in remembrance of Me. The Lord's day is in remembrance of Jesus' resurrection. The Lord's Supper is in remembrance of Jesus' crucifixion. You cannot translate them the Supper of the Lord or the Day of the Lord. just won't allow that. These two expressions 
have the, the word belonging to the Lord. So it's the day belonging to the Lord, the Lord's day. And this that we're observing this afternoon is the supper that belongs to the Lord. So how often again you'll hear people say every day belongs to the Lord. But there's a special day that belongs to the Lord. And of course you can say every supper belongs to the Lord, but there's a special supper and it's called the Lord's Supper. So those are parallel expressions in 1 Corinthians 11 and Revelation chapter 1 that indicate a special day and a special supper. And here we are observing the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. And I trust that we'll see that there is a, a deeper impact, a deeper meaning than simply the words may convey. Do this in remembrance of me. For our help, I'd like to just speak some words that begin with C. The first one is confession. Confession. We are to examine ourselves, we're told, before we partake. Remember, Verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. That's a word that speaks of preparation. It speaks of um, examination of our hearts. Is there anything between us and the Lord? Is there any unconfessed sin? Is there any sin that we are ignoring or shoving to the corner of our minds and hearts. The Lord knows. He desires us to pray like the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can we conceive of an unconfessed sin as we meditate on the place where sin was atoned? How can we ever think of insulting a dying Savior by harboring sin that He paid for? Confession is very important for us to make sure that, that our remembrance of the Lord is untainted, that our focus on the Lord is, is pure and holy. Secondly, a command. Jesus did not speak of this being an option for the believer, for the church. He said, this be doing, literally, do in remembrance of me. It is an imperative to the will. You say, well, this is Christ's command. And there are people that will say that the Ten Commandments per se, are not applicable today. It's Christ's commandments in the New Testament. Well, may I beg to differ that every command of the Lord, every precept and every prohibition is found in the Decalogue, even and especially this one, this be doing in remembrance of me. This observance of the Lord's table is fulfilling the first commandment. 
We're worshiping the God of atonement. We're acknowledging that a holy God needs to be atoned in order to be able to fellowship with Him. Do this in remembrance of me as fulfilling the second commandment. It's worshiping God as He commands. It's a means of worship. A legitimate means. As the Passover was the legitimate means of worship, a means in the Old Testament, so is the Lord's Supper in the New. The third commandment is fulfilled in doing this in remembrance of Him. We're worshiping the one whose name is above every name. Where we are acknowledging the reputation of Jesus Christ, that He fulfilled the law. He was the goal of the law. He was the Lamb of God, the fulfillment of the type of the sacrificial system, of the priesthood, of the altar. We are, we are acknowledging His fame by taking the cup, the, the bread and the cup. We're calling upon His name. We are, may I say, swearing by His name. This is a renewal of our covenant before God. And, of course, we are fulfilling the fourth commandment. This is a chief way in which we keep the Sabbath holy. That we keep this time Holy, we set it aside. And what better way than to take time to observe the Lord's Supper? It's a command. Thirdly, communion. First Corinthians ten says it's the communion of the body and blood of Christ. The word communion is the word koinonia. It's saying that we're in agreement with what these symbols represent. We're actually participating. We are recipients symbolically, but really we have been recipients of the atonement of Christ symbolized by the bread and the wine. You know that our actions are symbolic of our confession. We take the bread. Many has received Him to then gave you power to become the sons of God. We eat. We drink. As Chrysostom said, Chrysostom said, to eat is to believe. To drink is to believe. These are dramas, if you will, pictures of what we actually are doing spiritually. And may I say, you reject the sign, you reject what it signifies. This is a command to all believers. And yet, does even half the church partake of the Lord's table these days? It's an emblem of our believing. It's a picture of John 1.12, to as many as received Him, to them gave He the power, the authority to become the sons of God. Baptism is picturing regeneration. It occurs once, but yet we renew our New life in Christ whenever we observe a baptism. The Lord's Supper is to be partaken, we are to partake often. How often? It doesn't say, but as often as you eat and drink. Spurgeon would say that we aren't observing it often enough. 
I think we tell on ourselves, why, someone might ask, why doesn't the church observe the Lord's Supper every week? Why is it that most Protestant denominations observe it once a month? Are we telling on ourselves of our lack of depth? We're afraid of empty formalism if we observed every week. We're afraid that we wouldn't be able to focus and, and confess and really uh, get involved in sincere worship if it was every week. Oh, that God would deepen our devotion to Him. It's a supper that belongs to the Lord. It's communion with Him. It's His supper. We're the guests. We're the recipients. And it's special. You know, as much as they argued over whether Christ was physically present or not, I think that at the end of the day, they, they, they at least could agree that He was present. That's a, that's a humbling thing, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's very humbling to think that there may be one or more angels in our midst this afternoon. It's just... We're not idolizing angels, but they are our colleagues. They minister to us. They're, they're amazing creatures of God. And they ascend and descend upon the Lord's Word, upon His mission. And there may be indeed one or more here today, and they're watching us. They see believers distracted or sleeping. They, they understand. And I wonder if they go up to heaven and, and report that that little church or those that church in western New York is serious, Lord, about their worship. They're consistent. Oh, we know they're sinners. We have to protect them. We have to, we have to rescue them. But they, they love You, Lord. They love You. Wouldn't that be such a a compliment if an angel could say to another angel that those saints down there in western New York love the Lord. But the Lord is here. The Lord is here. It's not just saying, well, He's omnipresent. There's a special presence of the omnipresent one. It, a supper that belongs to the Lord. We accept His invitation. And we want to keep our communion fresh. This is what this Lord's Supper is meant to do. To keep our communion fresh. To keep our, our memory, our mind, our thinking fresh. Over and over again, we partake. It's communion with the Lord. It's commemor- I'm sorry, it's, it's communion and it's covenant. Keep this in mind. This is a covenant meal. We have a promised relationship. I was reading Genesis 17 where it says, Circumcision shall be a token of the covenant betwixt, betwixt me and you. It's, these are tokens that we are in covenant communion with God. We have a covenant relationship. It's not random that we're saved. God planned it. God swore to save us. He swore to take us as His bride. Just like there, there would be a, an engagement and a, and a covenant 
promise given in a, in a wedding, for instance. There are vows that are exchanged. It's a covenant relationship. It's not a loose relationship as so often we find in the world today. They're saying that marriage is now dropped in, in, in the percentage where there are people shacking together more than married together in the same place. There's not a covenant relationship that binds the two together. Well, aren't you glad the Lord swore by Himself? He has no, other, no one greater to swear to. He swore that He would save us and save us forever. But He says, I want you to, I want you to have a sign. Just like at the wedding, at least in our day, the wedding ring is a token of the covenant. We take the ring and we, we put the ring on and say, this is a token that I am in covenant with my spouse. I will never leave nor forsake in, in sickness and in health till death do us part. Some might use a necklace. Some might use um, a bracelet. Some might use some other um, a jewel or something or a tattoo. But it's a covenant. And so, when you and I come to the Lord's table, we're wearing the covenant sign, as it were. We're renewing our vows to the Lord. It's like we're wearing a ring when we come to the Lord's table over and over and over again. You know, there's a funny, a strange expression in Corinthians. People were baptized for the dead and and I've heard someone say that there are over 50 interpretations of that statement. Could it be it's saying it's a symbol of their earnestness that when they took the symbol of baptism or when they came to the Lord's table, it was showing their relatives that they turned their back on their, on their false religion permanently. They really meant business when they were baptized. And so, often, people don't think you're really being serious about your faith unless you take the badge of your faith, unless you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Unless you come to the table and, and having confessed our sins and, and take the, the symbol that God has given us for a Christian to, to not partake and to neglect the table is to say, take the ring back. I don't want to remain in this relationship. It's that serious. Jesus commands us, do this in remembrance of me. And yet people stay away like it's an option. I'm not afraid of the consequences of not obeying God. It's almost like we dare God to chasten us. That's not a safe thing for me to do is to dare God to chasten me. But it's to show our love for the Lord. To say, thank you for covenanting to save me, Lord. Thank you. I'm not ashamed of our marriage. The Bible says that, that this will be replaced by the, the, the supper of the King. The 
the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a covenant meal. Only if I could only get to the depths of that. Covenant, 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 covenants all through the Bible. It's not willy-nilly. It's not a loose relationship. It's a relationship where the Lord says, if I don't keep my word, I destroy myself. You look in Genesis 15, Abraham was told to, to uh, kill animals and, and a bird and to divide the animals and to make an aisle in between. He didn't divide the birds. But then he, he falls into a deep, dark sleep and he sees a, a lantern go through the aisle separated by the parts of the animal. It's also found in Jeremiah 34. And you know what it's saying? God is saying to Abraham, if I don't keep my word, then I'll be like these animals. I'll destroy myself. That's how serious God is to comfort us, to assure us that He means business to save our soul. Hell is so serious. Separation from God is so horrible. So horrible. He describes so many different pangs of the lost. Unquenchable fire. You know what that word is? Asbestos. The word asbestos has the A in front of it like atheist and agnostic. It means no extinguishing. No uh, burning up. We had asbestos in this building. The, the, the flu pipe was asbestos. Contrary to knowledge, they still use it somewhat, but they found that once that asbestos was in the lungs, it was very difficult for people to live very long after that. But it's it's so resilient. The Lord speaks of darkness and separation from God. He wants us to know that salvation is deliverance from His righteous wrath and reception of His righteous mercy. We come to the word commemoration. Do this in remembrance of me. What is remembrance? Our word is, why well, bring it to mind? But too often, that's really all that, all that it is at the Lord's table. We're just bringing Him back to mind. And then the next seven days or the next 30 days, He's hardly in mind. It's not a merely recall. That's not what it means by remembrance. He's talking about something that's intentional. He's saying it's something that you don't just all of a sudden now change in a moment when you sit at the Lord's table. That's why He tells us to prepare our hearts. We don't come to the Lord's table just willy-nilly again, unprepared. We're thinking about the Lord's table the night before. We're continuing to think about it beyond this, these moments. Into the next week, we're thinking about the fact that God has renewed His promise to us. We've renewed our promise to Him. Remember what Joseph said to the was it the butler? 
Make mention of me when it shall go well with you. That's the word remember. That's the word we... You know, Zechariah means the Lord remembers. It's the word Zechar. Make mention of me when it, shall be go, when it shall go well with you. And you know, that's one of the 101 things that Pink speaks of as Joseph uh, paralleling Jesus. What does Jesus say to you and me? When I save you, make mention of me. Don't forget me. Keep me in mind. That's the idea. And what the Lord's Supper is doing, it's jarring our thinking again. It's, it's a renewal of our meditation that we've been continuing since the last time. It's intentional. He's saying, keep me in mind. Remember the text in Ecclesiastes, remember thy Creator in the days of thy youth. He's saying, think about me. You young people, think about me. Don't just be forced to think about me when you go to church. He's saying, keep me in mind. It'll keep you from the, from the, the wickedness of the world. Keep me in mind. But too often it's, we're reminding each other. But that's okay. God is gracious. If this is a reminder, may it be a reminder so that we might Keep him in mind that we won't have to be reminded the next time. The Lord told his people, when you go into the land filled with milk and honey, and it shall go well with you, beware that you forget not. And then a few verses later, but thou shalt remember. So there's the negative and the positive. Beware that you forget. How can we forget the Lord? Our focus becomes on temporal things and materialism and, and idols. And it chokes out our remembrance. We push the thoughts of the Lord to the back of our mind or out of mind. And the Lord in His graciousness gives us opportunities. One day in seven. Think about the graciousness of God. Not one day in seventy. One every seven to keep the... The, the front end aligned, as it were, to keep the heart aligned. But every day, the Bible says, daily we're spending time with Him to keep our minds focused on the Lord. Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Thee. And He knows we need these times to jar our thinking. He means, forget me not, you know those flowers, forget-me-nots? And you hand them to somebody, and perhaps when they're going away, forget-me-not. But I'm told that the forget-me-not flowers spread easily. And you know, when you and I are meditating on the Lord, it's contagious to others because when we're meditating on the Lord, it comes out of from our hearts to our to our mouths. We, we talk about the Lord. We fellowship about the Lord. Which is so important when we hear a message that we sit together at the, at the dinner table and we talk about what we've heard. But so often our minds are so full, our hearts are so full of what's, what's out there, our, our business, that that comes out, unfortunately, even after we've tried to fill our minds with truth. Sadly, the Lord's Supper is often merely to remind us, but it should freshen our thoughts that have continued to be on the Lord. It's needful. 
this communion table. It's needful because we're a forgetful people. He said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I gave it to you back in the Garden of Eden. Keep it fresh. Keep it fresh in every generation. And remember me at the Lord's table. Keep it fresh that I died for you. Keep it fresh. We're on a six-day or a seven-day clock. And so we need one day in seven to be with the Lord. To pause, to stop, to rest, to worship. It's interesting, there's a verse in 2 Timothy that says, Remember, Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. And He gave us the Lord's day for that. Didn't He? How often do we need... How often do we need to remember, to commemorate? Often is all I can say. Often. Regularly. Be doing this. Is monthly too seldom? Perhaps we're afraid of perfunctory worship if we do it too often. But may I say, perhaps we're afraid of dilapidation if we're doing it too seldom. I left a long screwdriver out in the elements. I was looking for it with Dan the other day and I couldn't find it. You know where it was? It was outside. Getting rained on for two nights. Beautiful silver metal long screwdriver. And now it's a beautiful rusted long screwdriver. Just two days of rain. I wonder how often we're rusted over. If we miss one Lord's Supper. We miss one Lord's Day. I don't know about you, but do you not feel rusted when you have to miss? Or when you have to skip a devotional time because you woke up late? We know what it's like, don't we? To be rusted. And we need to take the sandpaper of the Word of God and, and sand the rust off us. How we need it daily. Daily, daily, daily. And I say next the word Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. Brother and sister, it's about the Lord. It's not about His church primarily. It's about Christ. It's not about my sins. I confess them. That's the point. Get rid of your sins so that your sins aren't in the way of remembering Christ. I'm not idolizing the elements. Like Spurgeon said, if we see the signs and see not Him, it's not about dramatizing the crucifixion. It's about remembering His death. We see the Lord through the symbols of the bread and the wine. These pictures are meant to promote pondering the Lord. It's time with the Lord, brother and sister. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this meditating on me. That's what he's saying. Do this thinking about me. Spend time with me. That's what he's saying. It's time with the Lord. And what would it be like if you're in the room with your loved one and and she's right there. He's right there. And you're just looking at the picture. And this is a nice picture. A nice picture. But look at me. I'm right here. 
and often we just look at the pictures. Let's look at through the pictures and see Jesus. We're with the Prince of Life who was killed on our behalf. We're with the Lord today. Remember that, brother and sister. You're with the Lord when you read His Word. You're with the Lord when you pray. You're with the Lord when you worship. We don't come primarily to the worship service for fellowship. It's worship. Worship. Fellowship is a blessing. It's a, may I say, it's a byproduct of worship. It will occur if there's worship. But it's worship. We come to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Last, certainly, but not least, coming. It's contemplation. What does he say? Until the Lord comes. What does he mean? As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until He comes. What does he mean there? It's like Andrew Bonner said, Oh, the solemnity of the fact that we're one Lord's Supper closer to the Lord's coming. Isn't it solemn to think before we partake of the next supper that we're with the Lord in glory? Or the Lord returns? It's like He's saying, do it with your loins girded. Do it with your bags packed. Do it because you're going to exit this life soon as they were going to exit Egypt. Can you remember this? Can you, can you almost feel the excitement of the Israelites? They're ready to leave. Two million strong. They're ready to be delivered from their slavery. The excitement that must have been in their hearts. In other words, the Lord is saying, eat this bread and drink this cup with Maranatha on your mind. The Lord cometh with your oil full, knowing that the, the, the call might come. The bridegroom cometh, or the bridegroom calleth. How people would argue, I, I can't believe in the imminent return of Jesus because the man of sin has to come and, and this and that has to occur. But man, you can be brought to Jesus in a heartbeat. Who are we going to read about in the obituary of the church this week? It may be mine. My name, brother. The bridegroom cometh or the bridegroom calleth. He's saying, until I come, make sure your sins are confessed. Make sure you see the one symbolized by the bread and the wine. It is our Yom Kippur moment. It's our Day of Atonement moment. It's a feast, this communion table. Hell has no more dominion over us. Through the death of Christ was the death of death, and the death of Satan to us, and the death of sin. Oh, that God might help us to see beyond the tip of the iceberg. How much deeper is the Lord's Supper 
than what meets the eye. Oh, that the impact might be deep and immense. Let us get beyond the surface. Let us see the Lord. Let us fellowship with Him. Oh, that God might move in our hearts. That we might be in the Spirit on the Lord's day as we partake of the Lord's Supper.